0: We've been looking forward to coming to the close of the series that we launched just a few weeks ago called Address the Mess. But before we kind of close off uh, this series, I wanted to give you a little bit of a preview of what's coming in the next weeks ahead, okay? So uh, next week, and actually I'll get to be back with you guys. I get to be in Port Clinton two weeks in a row, which is fun, and uh, we're going to launch into a brand new series called Encounters with Jesus And so for three weeks, we're going to look at three different uh, ordinary people's encounter with Jesus that changed everything. And uh, man, you may be here this weekend, and you long for just an encounter. You know that you, you need something from Jesus And so we're going to follow some incredible stories and and learn from them and learn how that applies uh, to our lives today. So that's Encounters with Jesus. Then after we finish that series, we're going to do a deep dive into the Old Testament, and we're going to study for five weeks the book of Jonah together. And uh, we're going to use as a resource Tim Keller's book um, called The Prodigal Prophet, uh, Jonah and the Mystery of God's Mercy. And so for five weeks, we'll We'll look at Jonah's story and how God's mercy came alive to him when he just wanted to go the opposite direction of what God was wanting, and man, all of us have found ourselves in moments and in seasons like that, and uh, so we're going to learn a lot from, um, from Jonah and from his story. But that brings us to today, and we want to uh, finish off our address the mess series. Um, growing up, I grew up on the shores of Lake Michigan. Yes, I'm from Michigan. So, but uh, I mean, you know, on the lake. So I'm right here with you guys, PC. Okay. And uh, actually, for several years, uh, I worked on a charter sailboat. And uh, during high school, and then even into the first couple years of college. And so I've always been fascinated with um, maritime stories and facts. Uh, and, and one of those is the story of the Titanic. And some of us know it. I guess they're getting ready to release another, another follow-up movie of the Titanic. It was meant to be one of the most beautiful and luxurious boats that would ever have been built at the time. Uh, it would be a boat that was, that was impressive to millionaires. Uh, and not only was it to be beautiful and big, it was, it was built to be solid and strong. In fact, it was said to be an indestructible vessel. But all of us know the story. And on April 14th, 1912, just four days after leaving port for its very first maiden voyage, the Titanic hit an iceberg and it sank. And fifteen hundred people lost their lives. Only about seven hundred lived because of the shortage of lifeboat vessels. And people were dumbfounded. how How could this have possibly happened to such a magnificent vessel? And there's there could be a, a number of reasons. Uh, but what I'm what I've learned is that. Uh, in those last days of building this boat and to to make the looming deadlines they they used some cheap steel and poor rivets and because of that the the titanic it really was not built to take the kind of hit that it did and it makes me think about another question a real life question for you and for I today that I want to pose to us together. And the question is, can my faith survive when it runs into an iceberg of doubt? Notice it says, uh, when it runs into an iceberg of doubt. And perhaps in a room like this, there's those of you that are here that you're in a season of doubt right now, or some of us in this room, we've been through some, some situations, some scenarios, some circumstances where we just felt like we were crushed in our faith because of something that we were facing. And if you haven't faced one of those seasons, chances are we will. You will. And so how do we, how do we uh, address the mess uh, of doubt in this series we 've looked at addressing the mess of no boundaries, and we looked at the story of Adam and Eve, and how when they went outside of god 's border lines for their lives, it created an, a devastating mess, not just for them but for all of us and Last weekend, we looked at addressing the mess of our hearts that we were reminded that that which is inside will eventually come out of you, right, and you met Mr. and Mrs. Mugg, I understand right last weekend. It's such a great message! Uh, thanks to Pastor Ryan for leading and sharing that here. And this weekend, really, we're we're addressing the mess of our mind. And one of the things that can mess with our minds is doubt. And so that's what we want to talk about. Now, as Guinness, he helps us understand what doubt means. In fact, the biblical word for doubt it says uh, the Latin word for doubt, which is dubitare, comes from the uh, Aryan root meaning two. Alright, so to believe or to have faith is to be in one mind with regard to accepting something as true. And vice versa, to disbelieve is to be in one mind about rejecting it, but to doubt. To doubt is to waver between the two minds and the two thoughts. And that's why doubt is so difficult, It's why doubt is so hard. It's why doubt can be so exhausting because we're living with two different minds. We're going back and forth in our beliefs, what we do believe and what we don't believe, what we think we believe and yet what we're experiencing in the moment. And so doubt can be devastating. So how do we address the mess of doubt so that when we hit an iceberg, so to speak, it doesn't break our faith in two. But instead, actually, it, it propels us forward because of what we do with the doubts that we carry. And every one of us has them. So how does the Bible deal with doubt? I mean, this book that is supposed to be God's word to us, how does the Bible? How does Scripture, how do the stories of Scripture deal with doubt, or do they even deal with it at all? Right? I love what author Philip Yancey said. He said, Listen, when I speak to college students and I, I challenge them to find a single argument against God in the older agnostics or in the newer ones that is not already included in books like Psalms and Job and Habakkuk and Lamentations. He says, God seems actually rather doubt tolerant. In other words, God can take our doubts. And when it comes to the scriptures, when it comes to the Bible, the Bible doesn't uh, like bury its head in the sand and just kind of ignore doubt and the real things that all of us face. No, in fact, God's Word embraces the doubts of real people, and some of the stories of Scripture and the history of people that have believed in God becomes vulnerable in the text of the Bible to show us that we are not alone when it comes to dealing with doubt. And so we can learn something from the stories of Scripture. This weekend, I want us to look at two different stories about doubt. The first story is the story really of a skeptic, and it's dealing with intellectual doubt. You know, when you just can't make sense of it, right? When it just seems unbelievable, right? The second story is the story of a hurting dad, and it's dealing more with emotional doubt. Like when you're just torn up on the inside. Maybe my mind believes it, but my heart is not feeling it, right? So what do we do with these? I want us to look first at the, the, the story of the skeptic, okay? Uh, th- this is dealing with intellectual doubt. Now, as we lean into this story, Jesus has just come on the scene. The long-awaited Savior, the Messiah of the world, uh, has inaugurated his ministry, and everybody is catching wind that Jesus has come, that Jesus is alive and well, that Jesus is in the business of teaching and preaching and healing and touching lives. And people are getting excited about it. And one of those people is Philip. And Philip immediately goes to one of his friends, Nathaniel, to tell him that Jesus, the Messiah, is here. And this is what's recorded. It says, Philip went to look for Nathaniel, and he told him, We have found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. Now, this is significant because all the people of the day, especially the Israelite nation, the Jews, they were waiting, they were watching, they were looking forward to the coming of this Messiah, Savior, Redeemer. And they were holding on to these prophecies given in the Old Testament scriptures and words of the prophets. And Philip and Nathanael both would have gleaned from those truths and been holding on to those promises and been looking forward. And so Philip comes to his friend and says, he's here. The exact one that that we've been thinking about, the exact one that has been prophesied about to us. And then he says this, he says, and his name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph from the town of Nazareth. And immediately Nathanael says, Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Right away you see the, the, the sarcasm and the the skepticism in Nathaniel's heart, in the tone of his words. Can any are you kidding me? Now that phrase, uh, can anything good come from Nazareth, uh, became like a catchphrase of the day. Nazareth was this kind of nowhere place that nobody of importance came from. And so when Philip tells Nathaniel, hey, Jesus is alive, Jesus the the Savior, the Messiah has come, and his father was Joseph, and they're from Nazareth, Nathan's like, No, 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 that can't happen. This doesn't make sense to me. There was an intellectual block, okay? An intellectual doubt that sank into his heart. He's like, that is the last place that I would expect the Messiah to come from. Wouldn't he come from someplace, I mean like Jerusalem, wouldn't he come from someplace of great prominence, a a prosperous city? Uh, an important place. You see, Nathan could not wrap his mind around this. And even the sayings of the day, he was quoting because he had bought into the culture. And he, the bottom line, he didn't know what he didn't know. Uh, Tim Keller says that many people today view Christianity much like Nathaniel viewed Nazareth. They just... I can't make sense of this. I, I can't believe it. I can't. I can't get my mind around it. Maybe you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, and and you've you've felt some of the, the the scowl or the the look from people when when you talk about you know you you were praying and you felt like God was leading you, or or you 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 base some of your life decisions upon uh, the truth of Scripture, and and people are just like I, I just don't get it. I can't buy it. Or maybe you've had conversation with people, or maybe you're one of those people that's here this weekend, and you just came to the chapel, and you're just checking things out, and you're just kind of exploring this whole faith factor in your life, and you've got some, some things, some questions, right? Some intellectual questions, good questions, smart questions, that you've not been able to to get a a good answer to, and it keeps you from having real faith. You feel like you're living double-minded, like, okay, I'm interested, I kind of want to know, but I cannot wrap my mind around this. Or maybe you know people, or maybe you're here and you're one of those people. It's like, man, all these things that, that Christianity stands for, that Jesus said, like, Is it, could it be, I mean, Jesus, the only way to heaven, like, I can't wrap my mind around that. Or tough questions, like, how could a good God allow, and and so intellectually, we're filled with doubts, questions. And the question then becomes, then what do we do, right? What do we do when we run into an iceberg of intellectual doubt, just like Nathaniel did? I'm not going to tell you right now. I want us to go to the second story, and then we're going to come to a conclusion, and we're going to find and discover an answer that I think uh, actually answers both of these scenarios of doubt. So let's go to the next story. Now, this is on the kind of opposite side of intellectual doubt. This is a story of of a hurting dad. And he's dealing with what we would call emotional doubt. So for some of us in the room, we're not like, I'm not a big intellectual. Like, I don't have a lot of those big questions. Um, and uh, my mind just doesn't think some of those ways. But I am a very emotional person. I feel. Um, I'm compassionate. I care. But that even that can get us into trouble, can't it? Some of us in the room, we, we care too much, Right? Or, or, or when something happens and it's overwhelming to us emotionally, we can't make sense of it. It's not a mind thing, but it's a heart thing, right? And that's the story of this hurting dad. Now, the context is this dad has a son. And the record of the scriptures say that this son was demon-possessed. Now, that's not something that we usually experience here in the US of A in 2020, right? Like, maybe you've never experienced that, or it seems so foreign, like demon possession and all this stuff. And, and this demon had a hold of this young boy's life. And, and so it's maybe hard for us to grab, maybe, no, Maybe, you know what, maybe some of you have wondered about your teenager, like, oh, she got a demon in her, like, something's wrong. Like, I don't know, maybe... Regardless, all of us can relate to this. Here's a dad whose child is facing something that his dad cannot fix, that his dad cannot help with. And some of us in the room, even those of us that might not have kids, we've got family, we've got a spouse, we've got close friends. And we've seen people that have been going through situations that we want to help, we want to do something about, something's got to change, something's got to give. This cannot keep going on, right? And all you want to do is do something. And that's the scenario of this dad. And his heart is breaking for his son. And so he brings his son to Jesus. And this is the interaction that happens. Jesus says to the, to, the, to the dad, how long has this been happening? That is, how long has your son been possessed by this demon, uh, just uh, been tortured inside and out? He says, how long has this been going on? Jesus asked the boy's father, and he replied, since he was a little boy. He said, the spirit, this evil spirit, often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. It was like it was a a suicidal demon that was trying to take the life of this boy. Can you imagine, as a dad, seeing your kid go through this? He is emotionally overcome. And his last hope is to bring his son to this, this Jesus that he's heard about. This Jesus that is going around and preaching and teaching and he's heard even healing people. And so he brings his son to Jesus and Jesus, how long, he says, since he was a little boy, it says, he says, uh, have mercy on us and help us if you can. Do you sense the doubt in the heart of this dad? This is a last-ditch effort, and he brings his son to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I don't, it's like, okay, you're, some of us, we live like this, right? Like, we, we try, we do everything that we can do, and then finally, it's, it's kind of like, oh man, I guess I should pray. Has it come to this? Like, you know, last-ditch last effort, let's hail Mary to God, right? Like, can he, is there anything that he can do about this? And this, this dad who's doubting, he who is wrecked by, with emotion for his son, says, Jesus, have mercy on us. Help us if you can. And he's wrestling with emotional doubt. And look at how Jesus responds. Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? <laughs> now what I love is he doesn't, he doesn't chastise this father. He doesn't, he doesn't yell at him. He doesn't belittle him. He just simply asks an all-important question. What do you mean? if I can. And then he says, anything is possible if a person believes. And then it says, the father instantly cried out one of the most beautiful, brilliant, honest prayers ever. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. What was he saying? He was saying, I doubt. I'm living between two minds. And in, in there's a part of me that, that, that believes you can, that maybe you will help, that, that you're able, and that, that yet there's a part of me that says, if, maybe, I'm not sure. And he brings his son to Jesus. Uh, one... one, uh, one writer and pastor says there's really three kinds of faith. And I wonder where we might find ourselves in this room and, and where we find the faith of this, this hurting father that is dealing with emotional doubts. Uh, for, for some, they have what we would call resting faith. And resting faith is like a person that is safely inside the boat and able to help others get in. These are the people that we look to like when we're filled with doubt, when we're overwhelmed and overcome. We're like, I got to talk too. I know if, I, if I know that she will help me. People that you just know like they're safe in the boat and they know where it's headed and they're the people that we turn to that help us turn to Jesus. Those are people that have resting faith. And man, to be in a place of resting, and resting faith doesn't mean that like, things are perfect. Jesus, Jesus had a resting faith in the midst of a boat. In fact, he was resting, I mean like literally resting, like fell asleep in a boat when there's this horrible storm going on. Why? Because his trust, his faith was full in his Father. There's another uh, kind of faith, we'd call it clinging faith. Clinging faith is like a person that is, they're just hanging on to the side of the boat. They know where hope is, and, and uh, they've got their hands on it, and they're just holding on for dear life. And I bet some of us in the room, we're just, we're just barely holding on. We're facing stuff that's overwhelming, but we know where safety is found, where security is found, and we're just holding on. We're just clinging. We've got clinging faith. And then this other says there's a third kind of faith, and we just call it struggling faith. And this person's not in the boat. This person's not hanging onto the boat. This person feels like they are sinking, and they're just desperately swimming, trying to get to the boat. And I think that's the place where this, this hurting father finds himself. He is just swimming. He just needs help. He's desperate. It's his son. It's everything. And he just gotta to get to Jesus. You know, all of us we we find ourselves at different places, different moments. Of faith and doubt. And many of us can land in this last category like this, this doubtful father with struggling faith. Sometimes it's because of something big, an iceberg that that, that we did not see coming. And we feel like the, the ship of our faith is sinking and sinking fast. We hit hard. And it throws everything off. And water is just coming in. Maybe it's a, a devastating diagnosis. Maybe it's maybe it is something with our family, the ones that we love most. Maybe it's a sudden job loss that came out of nowhere and just everything feels like in a moment it has just flipped. And we're sinking. And emotionally we're doubting Sometimes it's not huge things, sometimes it's smaller things that can cause us to live in a in a phase of struggling faith or maybe just kind of a, a clinging on kind of faith. Maybe it's feeling inept in our job or maybe it's marital strife and, and like it, it just filled with emotional doubt, like can we get through this? Are we going to be okay? Are we going to make it? I don't know what it is for you, but this 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 hurting dad was struggling. So the question becomes, what do we do? Whether it's hitting an iceberg of emotional doubt, or whether our mind is so messed up and we can't wrap it around it, and and we've hit an iceberg of intellectual doubt, how do we deal with it? And what's amazing is that in both of these stories, very different, different types of doubt, different situations, I think the answer, honestly, is one and the same. It's to doubt to Jesus. To doubt to Jesus. See, we, we, we can't always control all the things that happen to us, and we can't even control the doubt that enters our our hearts, or our minds, but we do have a choice in what we do with our doubts. And so, doubt, but doubt to Jesus. You see, where we take our doubt will ultimately determine where we are led and where we go from there. And so where we take those doubts? I mean, we can take it internally, we can take it just to our friends, we can, we can take it to other things, or we can take it to Jesus. So look at how the skeptic does that. <laughs> remember, remember Nathaniel and, and uh, his buddy Philip says, hey, Jesus, he's here, the one that's been prophesied about. Moses and all the, all the writers, they, they, they foretold about him. And, and what does Nathaniel say? Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And then Philip, his friend, is such a good friend. And let me tell you something. If, if you've got friends, co-workers, family members that, that have questions and doubts and are wrestling with faith, uh, listen, you don't have to argue them into the kingdom of God. You don't have to fight them to try to get them to, you know, agree with you. Just invite them. And that's what Philip does. Philip says to his friend Nathaniel, just come and see for yourself. I love it. He doesn't say, well, you should believe this. Well, why don't you believe me? I'm telling you, I saw Jesus and he's the one and he's the Savior and he's the Messiah. How can you not believe me or how can you not believe him? No, he doesn't do any of that. He recognizes that Nathaniel's dealing with questions that he cannot grab a hold of. He's wrestling with sarcasm and, and doubts in his mind. But instead of judging him or arguing him or yelling at him, come on, just come and see. He invites him to just come and experience Jesus. Doubt to Jesus. Philip knew the secret. Just take them to Jesus. Just point them to Jesus. Just keep your eyes on Jesus and invite others to go to him. He says, come and see for yourself, Philip replied. And as they approached Jesus, Jesus said, and he says this to Nathanael, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete Integrity. So right away, Jesus sees Nathanael, the doubter, the, the sarcastic skeptic, and he compliments him. He says, now, there we go. There's a true son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Nathanael was a, was a good man. He just had some questions. He just didn't know if he could buy it. And Jesus welcomes this. He's inviting us to doubt, but to doubt to him. And so Jesus compliments Nathanael, and then the next words are life-changing. Nathanael says to Jesus, how do you know about me? And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip came and found you. Jesus does something miraculous here. He pulls the curtain back on his ability, his knowledge. He says, listen, how do I know about you? I I knew about you. I, I knew about you before your buddy Philip even came to get you to come tell you about me. You were sitting under a fig tree, and Nathaniel's like, what? It was something that nobody else could have known. And look at Nathaniel's response. Rabbi, teacher, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. He came, his, his questions got answered in a moment. Why? Because he took his doubts to Jesus. Because his friend Philip cared enough to point him to Jesus and to not judge him, but to say, just just come and see. Just come and see. See, this is the answer to Uh, our intellectual doubts, it's to doubt to Jesus, To, to, to be open to what we may not know or understand. That's hard for an intellectual, isn't it? And that was hard for Nathaniel. He had his questions. But we need to be open to what we may not know, to be willing to even doubt our own doubts. What about the second scenario, the hurting dad? The hurting dad, he doubts to Jesus as well. Remember, he asked the the, the he asked Jesus, well, have mercy on us. Have mercy on my son who's demon-possessed, who's who's like suicidal because of this de- demonic influence in his life? He says, he says, help us if you can. And Jesus says, What do you mean if I can? Anything is possible. If a person believes, and I love, again, this man's prayer, he's so honest, he's so vulnerable, he's so real. He says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. What did he do? He doubted. But he doubted to Jesus. You know, growing up in the church, it's easy to think that when doubt comes, we have to hide that. Because if, if, I mean, if we say we're doubting, I remember a student in our youth group years ago who walked away from Jesus uh, about a senior year of high school because he felt like at the church that we were at, as soon as he started asking tough questions, people were like, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't be thinking that. You shouldn't be asking that. And people said, oh, he's, you know, he's falling away from his faith. And it was that, it was that very response to his questions that pushed him away from his faith. He needed somebody like a Philip to just say, come on, let's see, let's go see. Let's look at this together. Let's, I'll be with you in the journey. And then this hurting dad, he's honest enough to doubt to Jesus. And that leads us to the, really the answer for us that are dealing with an emotional doubt. It's to be open to what we really need the most. And what that dad needed the most was not necessarily his son being healed. He needed to realize that he could bring even the realness of how he felt to Jesus. And when he did, the rest of the story is phenomenal. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers, that that it was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit and he said, listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. And this hurting dad's son was healed in that moment. Why? Because he doubted. But he doubted to the right person. He doubted to Jesus. I love what Mike Whitmer uh, says. He says, All discoveries begin with doubt, and the largest doubts oftentimes lead to the very biggest breakthroughs, so I don't know what you're facing, I don't know what, you're, what your kids are facing, what your grandkids are facing, what you're feeling, I don't know what intellectual questions that you're wrestling with, and I don't necessarily know what emotional heartbreak is occurring in your life, and if it's not now, it will be, You guys, doubt is inevitable. Dare I say, doubt can even be good if if we doubt to Jesus. Because when we go to Him, that can change everything. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you welcome it. Thank you that you welcome us. Thank you that you invite our questions. Thank you that you... Invite our hurt and emotional doubts. And just as you came alongside Nathaniel, and just as you came alongside this hurting father, Jesus, wherever we find ourselves today, would you come alongside us? Help us to not fear doubt, but to face it and to bring it to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.